Hello and welcome to another episode of Virtual Legality. I'm your host, Richard Hogue, managing member of the Hogue Law Business Law Firm of Northville, Michigan. And on your screen before you, you see the logo of one of my favorite film franchises of all time, at least maybe prior to 2015, but we'll get to that as well, in Star Wars. And if you haven't been following the news, then maybe you didn't see that actor John Boyega, who portrays the character of Finn in the Disney Star Wars trilogy, went out with a fairly incendiary interview with British GQ yesterday in which he basically tears down the whole enterprise, talks about his experience, and reflects on what it meant for him. And this is a very, very unusual interview in the world of business and certainly multinational corporations with multiple billions of dollars on the line with an intellectual property like Star Wars. And if you aren't familiar with virtual reality, if this is your first visit or even if it's your 10th visit, we haven't talked about Star Wars in a while. Star Wars is something that's very near and dear to my heart. It is something that I have talked about at length. It is really one of the things that helped foment the start of this particular YouTube channel, as I will talk about as part of this video. But overall, even with all that being said, this is just a big business story because a company like Disney doesn't usually lose control of the messaging on something like Star Wars as it has in this particular case. And I think John Boyega says a lot of right things. I think he says some stuff that is maybe a little bit wrong that we will also talk about in terms of the perceptions that he has about some of the things that J.J. Abrams, Ryan Johnson, and Disney were doing or even trying to do with the series. But in order to get to that point, we also have to talk about how Disney was losing control of the messaging of Star Wars as early as just a couple of weeks before The Rise of Skywalker released in December of last year. That's when a couple of articles went out with quotes like this. The Force Awakens, I think, was the beginning of something quite solid. The Last Jedi, if I'm being honest, I'd say that was feeling a bit iffy for me from John Boyega. I didn't necessarily agree with a lot of the choices in that, and that's something that spoke to Mark Hamill a lot about, and we had conversations about it, and it was hard for all of us because we were separated. He then says, hey, I would only come back to Star Wars if something that was banter and bickering and undercover romances and epic moments was something that was a part of that process, not just what we saw in The Last Jedi. It's not hyper-real or realistic or grounded. So you saw folks like John Boyega commenting on these things. You saw folks like J.J. Abrams, the director of Episode 7 and Episode 9, saying things like, Abrams praised The Last Jedi for being full of surprises and subversion and all sorts of bold choices. On the other hand, it's a bit of a meta approach to the story. I don't think that people go to Star Wars to be told this doesn't matter, as really The Last Jedi famously did. And it was shortly after release of the movie that people said release the J.J. Abrams cut, that there were rumors on Reddit and elsewhere that Disney had done a little bit of light editorial surgery on the rise of Skywalker to get it to a place where they wanted, and that J.J. Abrams was fuming behind the scenes, angry at what the final result was. Now, maybe that's the case. Maybe it wasn't. Certainly, it would seem, based on critical and individual reception to the rise of Skywalker, he should be angry about what was finally released. But this was all kind of building up to a general kind of mutiny of Disney Star Wars from even those individuals that were involved with the process themselves. As I tweeted out, I've been reflecting on this, and it really is fascinating that Disney has lost control of the wheel, as it were, this close to release of the new Star Wars. At some level, I expected a certain amount of discontent to be shared. The Last Jedi just lost too much momentum from The Force Awakens, and we saw that that momentum loss 
was carried forward in The Rise of Skywalker, although I didn't know it at the time of this tweet, but I expected that discontent to come after the release. This is quite something. They essentially tried to market The Rise of Skywalker as not Last Jedi. But as I said, that discontent did make itself known, and it made itself known earlier this week. So here we have this interview with British GQ given by John Boyega. And to give a little bit of background here, they give a lot of background. You can check out the article. I will, of course, link it in the description. It's important to note that John Boyega has always presented as the one actor in the Disney Star Wars trilogy that was really thoroughly invested in Star Wars, maybe outside of Mark Hamill, who, of course, has spent his life portraying Luke Skywalker. But you can see here, I don't believe this is staged. I have shelves that look like this, to be quite frank. You could see John Boyega reading Heir to the Empire, the Timothy Zahn sequel to Return of the Jedi, having all these Star Wars books behind him. And every indication, every interview, every video that he has done has suggested that he was a big Star Wars fan. So one of the things that I would say to take into account when we read all this is that this is the account of someone that was jilted by something that they loved that they loved Star Wars. They couldn't imagine being in the Star Wars universe. They got into acting, maybe in part because of Star Wars. And then when push came to shove, it didn't work out. I don't think anybody that really worked on them is terribly happy with what the Disney Star Wars trilogy wound up adding to the Star Wars mythos. And I think first among the people that are unhappy are those that were big, big Star Wars fans. I'm a big Star Wars fan. I certainly was before 2015, and, and I really didn't like the direction that it went in. But I can only hazard to imagine what it must have felt like to be participating in that kind of loss of momentum and loss of magic in the series itself. So, so that's John Boyega. And he goes and he talks about a lot of stuff here. Now, as we've said in Virtual Legality in the past, one of the things to note in an interview like this one is that a lot of the stuff is paraphrased. So if you go and you read this yourself, one of the things that I would recommend is to really keep track of where quotation marks are used. Because without those quotation marks, you have what amounts to editorializing from the interviewer themselves. And we have no reason to believe that they're trying to fake anything, but you're always going to get a little bit of extra interpretation from that interview. Now, to start off this article, this interview begins with a whole description of John Boyega taking the megaphone at a Black Lives Matter protest. I believe it was in Britain. I think you might have seen that viral clip around YouTube. You can check it out. I highly recommend it. It's, it's very interesting, compelling stuff. And that's one of the reasons why this interview was done. You'll also see a lot of references to a Steve McQueen miniseries uh, that John Boyega is taking a part in that also seems to be a part of what GQ wants to, to market with this article. And like anything, this is entertainment journalism. They want to market certain things. They want to have certain connections with folks like John Boyega and Steve McQueen. So you can always take that with a grain of salt as well. But overall, this is a very candid interview that is unlike most of what you are likely to see from big AAA kind of blockbuster actors that are appearing in things like Star Wars. And I think we have to take into account that we don't usually get this level of transparency and that we should all read these kinds of things to try to figure out exactly what these folks that make these kinds of films are thinking. So the premise to this kind of going into the interview about Star Wars is, well, now enough is enough. He is just about done abiding by any old rules. John Boyega is not really the man that you think he is, and now he is finally ready to let the world know. For Boyega, 2017 was a year thick with opportunity. That's the release date for The Last Jedi. 2015 was The Force Awakens. 2019 is The Rise of Skywalker. If capturing the role of Finn in 2015's The Force Awakens represented the professional equivalent of an enormous poker win, 
Then this was the period when he effectively staggered to the cashier window with an armful of chips. And then this article describes that he had a lot of projects. He was looking at doing his own production studio, all this stuff, but that he was also very unhappy. As this article says, he felt really that the harried reality of being an in-demand actor wasn't all that much fun. At the time, I just wanted someone to punish, he says, but there was no one but me. And you can see throughout this interview, again, very candid, that Mr. Boyega clearly has certain kind of anger issues, either with his own position, with the outside forces putting them upon himself in his own position, or otherwise. And there's a reference in this article to the fact that he uh, he wound up seeking... Uh, anger counseling, which is neither here nor there. A lot of people do. Uh, and certainly a lot of lawyers do because it's very easy to get angry in this line of work on a fairly regular basis. But there was something else too, a gnawing doubt about the intergalactic blockbuster that everyone kept telling him he was so fortunate to be involved with. Now, very few quotes there, a little bit of editorializing, but this is what I want to talk to you about in this video because Star Wars is so important to me. I think really is so important to the pop culture landscape and so important to so many people that there's a lot of interesting stuff here. First thing he he notes is, in the continued afterglow of that first franchise defibrillating Star Wars film, started the heart of Star Wars, this article suggests, he continued to notice a stylist he'd hired when he first started doing press, cringing at certain clothes I wanted to go for. So Mr. Boyega is experiencing triple-A celebrity dumb with Star Wars, and he's getting upset about not being allowed to wear what he wants to wear, or at least that the stylist that he hired for his press junkets and things isn't liking what he wants to wear. During the press of The Force Awakens, I went along with it, and obviously at the time, I was very genuinely happy to be a part of it, but my dad always tells me one thing. Don't overpay with respect. You can pay respect, but sometimes you'll be overpaying and selling yourself short. Yeah, I mean, I think the overall premise of that is don't grovel. Don't suborn yourself to the will of another. Absolutely be respectful of the opportunities that you've been given, but don't necessarily think that that quiets any criticism that you might have in the process. I think that's great advice from his dad, and I think that's great advice for a lot of people. I do note in this paragraph that although this article is framed as John Boyega's problems with Disney in respect to Star Wars, this particular issue on the stylist, on his hair, on his clothing, that apparently was kind of the initial issues that he had with living the life of AAA celebritydom, was somebody that he had hired. Uh, And so that isn't necessarily Disney, although they might have recommended it, even though that didn't come out in the article. And so when he hired him, I would imagine that you could have fired them. Not that anybody should have to live with any employee or anybody else really in their lives, judging them solely on their hair or their clothes or anything like that. And I think all of this builds up to the level of anger that you see in this article. This is Boyega's first substantial interview since finishing the franchise. His first since last year's The Rise of Skywalker tied a highly contentious, hurried ribbon on the 43-year-old space saga. How does he reflect on his involvement and the way the newest trilogy was concluded? Now we get into the good stuff. It is so difficult to maneuver, he says, exhaling deeply, visibly calibrating the level of professional diplomacy to, to display. I love that editorializing. You know, as a lawyer and, and just as a business person, if you're involved in business or on a sales call or anything else, you know that feeling sitting on the opposite side of someone, maybe a contentious question is asked or a contentious issue is raised and you have to kind of evaluate exactly how you want to respond. So I think that's a good bit of editorializing, but clearly, you know, John Boyega is trying to make sure that he is very professional and very staid in the answers that he gives. 
you get yourself involved in projects and you're not necessarily going to like everything, life of the actor, right? But what I would say to Disney is do not bring out a black character, market them to be much more important in the franchise than they are, and then have them pushed to the side. It's not good. I'll say it straight up. So he, as his first point, says that the marketing of the movie was wrong. That what was the marketing of Finn, his character, was inaccurate. And that inaccuracy led to him feeling sidelined throughout the project because ultimately he was dealing with a fan base and an audience that expected this Finn when it was released. And if you want to counter this to what Rey, the ultimate Jedi in the series, was shown as in the early marketing, no lightsaber, just a big stick, that it looked for all the world like Finn was the lead character of the new Star Wars trilogy, and that was never to be. And so he says, you know, he he takes it as a racial component. And I want to talk about that in just a second. He is obviously fully within his rights to feel however he wants to feel about these things. And I have no doubt that things like the stylist and some of the harassment that he received that we will also talk about as part of this article lead him to this conclusion. But at the end of the day, while this might be bad, it's certainly deceptive. It certainly feels a little bit like lying, especially if you're a big fan of John Boyega or the Finn character. And this is the real star of the movie and you're trying to hide the ball there. I'm not so sure it's a racial component as much as it is a J.J. Abrams component. How many of you remember this guy? This is John Harrison, or at least that's what he was named in the promotional materials for Star Trek Into Darkness, the sequel movie to J.J. Abrams' Star Trek 2009 reboot series, played by Benedict Cumberbatch here, and maybe the best part of Into Darkness. John Harrison is actually Khan Noonien Singh, or Khan from the Big Yell, from the Wrath of Khan, from the original Star Trek II back in the day. And J.J. Abrams hid the ball on this. Now, why did he hide the ball on this? Outside of the fact that J.J. Abrams only hides balls, he's only interested in mystery boxes and virtually everything he does. Well, he gave in an interview the answer to the Harrison Khan conundrum as follows. At the end of the day, while I agree with Damon Lindelof that withholding the Khan thing ended up seeming like we were lying to people, I was trying to preserve the fun for the audience and not just tell them something that the characters don't learn for 45 minutes into the movie so the audience wouldn't be so ahead of it. And so from J.J. Abrams' perspective, I firmly believe, because I don't really believe J.J. Abrams is a racist, he has hired and cast a lot of racially diverse members of his crew, of his business organization and everything else, that he was looking at this as hiding the fact that Rey was the actual Jedi and the protagonist of the movie so that the people in the audience weren't ahead of the game by 45 minutes or two hours because Rey doesn't find out that she really is a Jedi until really at earliest when the lightsaber calls to her in the middle of this movie, but really at the end when she's using force tricks and lightsaber fighting and all of that good stuff. That J.J. wanted to hide the ball just like he had always hid the ball, but... I do think that J.J. Abrams and Disney and everyone else needs to be more cognizant of the experiences that someone like John Boyega has taking on a role in a series as old as Star Wars. So yeah, while I think this is a legitimate marketing exercise, even though I think it's stupid and I don't agree with J.J. Abrams pursuing it, I think it doesn't take into account what John Boyega would have been going through with respect to the tweets and the DMs and the social media and the press junkets and, oh, are you excited to be a Jedi, et cetera, et cetera. And the kids coming up to him and saying, wow, I always wanted a black Jedi or whatever it might be. And him knowing behind the scenes that that isn't the case. And then certainly when you get into Last Jedi, 
and the rise of Skywalker being completely kind of taken off the board of lead protagonist or even co-protagonist. So I think you see all that resentment here. And while I think it's completely justified internally to Mr. Boyega, I don't really think that Disney or J.J. Abrams was trying to be racist by John Harrisoning the Ray connection when they've got Finn on the board. Now, there are other items that Disney is guilty of that maybe you could argue the opposite, right? We've got a variety article here. We've got the Chinese poster for The Force Awakens from back in 2015. You might notice a little difference here. You've got John Boyega on the American poster here on the right. You've got John Boyega a little bit smaller here on the left. So certainly Disney is trying to pander to certain various of its audiences. I mean, you also have a lot more stormtroopers here on the premise that maybe the Chinese audience just likes big armies more. I don't know. I'm not a marketing person. I certainly don't work for Disney. But undoubtedly, John Boyega is reduced in stature in order to better appeal to the Chinese audience, or at least that Disney thinks will better appeal to the Chinese audience. Now, the problem with that, of course, is that the logic here that Mr. Boyega is giving in his article is that you don't want to market somebody so big and then sideline them. Technically speaking, marketing him smaller might be a better example of what his relative role in the film is. So it's maybe responsive to this kind of complaint, even though I think we can all look at this and say, nah, that's probably just racist pandering for the Chinese audience. Similarly, you've got Disney trotting out people like Lupita Nyong'o as Maz Kanata, this orange person who never does anything in the movies, or maybe even Gwendolyn Christie, who performs as Captain Phasma and does less than Maz Kanata in these movies. And so at the end of the day, you do have an argument if you're John Boyega or anyone else to suggest that Disney, even if they aren't necessarily motivated specifically by racism, are motivated by wanting to get these folks at press junkets and not otherwise do anything significant in their films. So I think John Boyega has a good point. I don't think it's entirely accurate when you're talking about something like marketing a film because J.J. Abrams has always hid the ball, and I think Finn was what he used to hide the ball, but they didn't take into account Finn's feelings. They didn't take into account John Boyega's feelings as Finn. One of the things I really found endearing about John Boyega throughout his press junkets is he almost always referred to himself in the first person as Finn when he was answering questions on Star Wars. He really was a big fan of this enterprise. Next, we have something that is a little bit more weak, I think, from John Boyega's standpoint. He says the following. He is talking about himself here when he talks about marketing, about the character of Finn, the former stormtrooper who wielded a lightsaber in the first film before somewhat being nudged to the periphery. But he is also talking about other people of color in the cast, Naomi Aki in Rise of Skywalker and Kelly Marie Tran primarily in The Last Jedi, and even Oscar Isaac, who I think we could all agree doesn't really have a lot of great plot points throughout the three films, who he feels suffered the same treatment. He is acknowledging that some people will say he's crazy or making it up, But the reordered character hierarchy of The Last Jedi was particularly hard to take. Like, you guys know what to do with Daisy Ridley. You knew what to do with Adam Driver, he says. You knew what to do with these other people. But when it came to Kelly Marie Tran, when it came to John Boyega, you didn't. little light editorializing for the quote. So what do you want me to say? What they want you to say is, I enjoyed being a part of it. It was a great experience. Nah, nah, nah. I'll take that deal when it is a great experience. They gave all the nuance to Adam Driver, all the nuance to Daisy Ridley. Let's be honest. Daisy knows this. Adam knows this. Everybody knows. I'm not exposing anything. 
So what you've got here is the primary argument. This is the argument that was relayed in IGN and GameSpot and PC Gamer and everywhere else that I wound up seeing it on my timeline that John Boyega says that he was sidelined because of race and racism at Disney or maybe just in The Last Jedi, as we will also talk about where his comments are specifically aimed. But ultimately, one of the things I would say here is that the Disney Star Wars trilogy is a tire fire, a tire fire of character motivations of arcs primarily borne out because J.J. Abrams and Ryan Johnson are completely incompatible writer-directors, that they have completely different visions of what Star Wars should be, and thus had completely different visions of what the characters should be. And so when you get into this conversation, once again, is it racism? I have my doubts. I did an article that really wound up being uh, an interesting point in the law firm's life, in my life, called The Last Jedi, Luke Skywalker, and Heroism in the Age of Trump. This is by far the most read thing that I have ever written, from legal briefs to descriptions on YouTube and elsewhere. And this was done before I had a channel, before Hoglaw or Virtual Legality existed. This wound up getting passed around on places that I had never been before I wrote this article, places like Tumblr and Reddit and various places in the Forcenet and things along those lines. And one of the things I pointed out about The Last Jedi, which really didn't work for me, and you can check out uh, my video of this if you're interested in having this read to you. Uh, I did a video version to kind of test out what this channel would even be. I I said the following. The majority of the plot of Last Jedi can be summarized as follows. The Resistance fleet flees from its destroyed base in the world's longest chase, 18 plus hours, while various players from The Force Awakens seek to help. For Rey, this takes the form of pounding on Luke Skywalker's door for hours at a time, periodically pausing to cut rocks with her lightsaber. For Finn and Poe, this means, to various degrees, organizing a casino heist, a mutiny, an infiltration mission, a meet-cute, and a suicide run. But not together. Never together. In between, our stars learn a little something about not believing in heroes, the importance of chain of command, the dangers of needless risk-taking, parentage, war profiteering, casino operations, horse racing, zero-g force bubbles, FaceTime animal cruelty, unfettered capitalism, floor sweeping, and very little about each other. Because of the acute separation of the various plot lines until the very end of the film, it is easy to imagine a version of The Last Jedi where, say, Finn's casino adventure or Poe's fleet mutiny are cut for time. Given that Last Jedi is the longest Star Wars adventure by a fair amount, it seems that a tighter editing pass may well have resulted in a better, more effective movie. So broadly... From a structural perspective, I am in agreement with John Boyega. The difficulty here is with his claim that they knew what to do with Daisy Ridley or they knew what to do with Adam Driver. If you go and you look at any of the time pieces on IMDb or elsewhere on The Last Jedi, John Boyega actually got more time than Adam Driver, more time than Oscar Isaac. He got just a little bit less time than Daisy Ridley as Rey and Mark Hamill as Luke Skywalker. He was on screen a lot. The problem was is that his screen plot was terrible. And in terms of nuance, it's worth noting that not one person got out alive of this series, right? Not one person made it with an arc that made any sense when we got to the end point of The Rise of Skywalker. And that's because of any number of reasons. But yes, 100%, the character of Finn and John Boyega's role in the movie series was sidelined. But I'm not so sure that anybody in this series, including Daisy Ridley and Adam Driver, weren't sidelined even in their own stories. This was a bad bit of writing, a bad bit of fan fiction. And at the end of the day... I find it difficult to attach specific racism to this, 
Ryan Johnson wrote a terrible Kelly Marine character in Rose Tico. He wrote Finn terribly, but he didn't write anybody else better. The Poe and Holdo plotline doesn't make any logical sense at the end of the day. And even Rey shipping herself in a little sleeping casket to Adam Driver in order to redeem him while dramatic doesn't make a lot of sense at the end of the day and ultimately is reversed at the end of Rise of Skywalker in a fashion that doesn't make anybody or anybody's characters happy. Daisy Ridley is on record saying things like how much the Raylo dynamic upsets her, a record that I cover in the video, The Rise of Raylo, The Toxic Heart of Disney's Star Wars. And yes, it might be the heart, but I'm not sure that Finn or John Boyega would have been better served being at the heart of this madness. And so, yes, I think he has a lot of legitimate complaints about what The Last Jedi did, how it reordered character hierarchy. He was going to be a co-protagonist at the end of The Force Awakens, just like Luke Skywalker was going to be an important Force figure in the lives of Rey and perhaps the rest of the Resistance. None of that happened because Ryan Johnson came in. And I think John Boyega knows that. This is getting skipped in a lot of the interviews and articles that I read on this. But as we continue, you'll see that he points his ire specifically at The Last Jedi. He is on a breathless roll now, breaking his long corporate omerta to touch on the unthinking systemic mistreatment of black characters in blockbusters. They're always scared. They're always freaking sweating. That's a quote that they put in parentheses. And what he sees as the relative salvage job that returning director J.J. Abrams performed on The Rise of Skywalker. Everybody needs to leave my boy alone. He wasn't even supposed to come back and try to save your shit. Even though he also acknowledges that it was an amazing opportunity and a stepping stone that has precipitated so much good in his life and career, he is palpably exhilarated to be finally saying all of this. But to dismiss these words as merely professional bitterness or paranoia is to miss the point. His primary motivation is to show the frustrations and difficulties of trying to operate within what can feel like a permanently rigged system. He is trying, really, to let you know what it feels like to have a boyhood dream ruptured by the toxic realities of the world. And I do think there is some truth there, right? I do think that when we talk about what he is and and what he, he experienced as a youth and what he loves in terms of Star Wars, this is a kind of coming of age story of don't meet your heroes, don't get involved in Star Wars if you really love it, don't go into the kitchen of that restaurant you really love because everything everywhere is terrible. And that sounds cynical, but really the sausage making process of anything that you love, art or otherwise, is always going to have some warts on it and always going to leave you a little bit upset. I also note that while there are some quotes here, a lot of this is editorializing, right? When you say his primary motivation, presumably there are other things as part of the interview that led you to believe this interviewer, but you didn't quote them. And so I'm left with you establishing what this other person's internal primary motivation for saying these things is. And I don't know that his comments are necessarily targeted specifically at a rigged Star Wars system. And what brings that out for me is really this Everybody needs to leave my boy alone. He refers to J.J. Abrams, who cast him in 2015, who did 2019's The Rise of Skywalker and gave him whatever plot he gave him, which is essentially telling Rey a secret or claiming that he has a secret and then never sharing it throughout the rest of the movie while simultaneously riding horses on the sides of Star Destroyers. And he says, leave my boy alone. This was too hard. He wasn't even supposed to come back and try to save everything. Save everything from what? From The Last Jedi. 
So you go and you look at what this particular issue that John Boyega has, and it seems to be the same issue broadly that I have, which is that Ryan Johnson didn't know what he was doing when he wrote a Star Wars. And at the end of the day, that wound up getting taken out mostly on Poe and Finn, both actors of color, absolutely. But I would also say Ryan Johnson doesn't appear to be racist in any way that I can tell outwardly. He just appears to be a bad writer that was tunnel-focused on what he liked about Star Wars. Or as I tweeted out yesterday, interestingly, most of this discussion seems aimed at Ryan Johnson, who I would argue might be better characterized, better than racist, as knows he wants to do something with Jedi and the Force, while also has little to no idea what to do with anything else. Didn't have a great plotline for Poe, certainly not a plotline that made sense in the context of The Force Awakens. Didn't have a great plotline for Finn or even his new character, Rose. Holdo was a bust. Luke Skywalker, at the end of the day, really was a bust as well, but he knew he wanted to talk about Jedi and Sith, something with lightsabers and destiny and the Force. And so that wound up taking this role of a plot, but it doesn't necessarily mean that he didn't like Finn or Poe because of the color of their skin. It means that he's a bad writer that didn't know how to write a Star Wars. So yes, I think the frustration you see on John Boyega is entirely justified with something like this. I'm just more reluctant than him, and this is coming from a position where I haven't experienced that harassment. I haven't dealt in Star Wars as he has, and so I fully acknowledge that position and acknowledge the rightness of what he personally feels about these things. I don't think that Ryan Johnson went out to deliberately hurt Finn. I don't think that Ryan Johnson went out to deliberately hurt Poe. It's just that he was focused on lightsabers and the force and Luke Skywalker and didn't know what to do with anything else. I think that Ryan Johnson is a very, very interesting auteur. He's an interesting director. I think he's a relatively poor writer that succumbs to things like coincidence and maybe is better in the mystery genre like Knives Out and other things that will better fit his skill set. But he completely screwed up the entirety of the trilogy. And I think John Boyega is tacitly acknowledging that when he says, don't get on J.J. Abrams. I don't blame J.J. Abrams, even though J.J. was probably responsible for the marketing that he complains about early on, even though J.J. Abrams set him up with the janitorial jokes that then were examined in Last Jedi and Rise of Skywalker, that even though J.J. Abrams wound up giving Oscar Isaac a drug runner black, uh, background in the Rise of Skywalker and completely, you want to talk about sideline, Rose Tico was essentially patted on the head and said, thank you for asking, no, you don't want to be in this movie, we'll be going on without you in the Rise of Skywalker. He doesn't blame J.J. Abrams for any of those things. He is focused like a laser beam on what Ryan Johnson did to his character. And I think the assumption is that J.J. Abrams, in conversing with John Boyega, had different thoughts for what Finn would do, whether that was a stormtrooper rebellion, whether he would be force sensitive earlier on, which you see reflected in the Rise of Skywalker itself. He doesn't blame J.J. Abrams. And this winds up being a complete view of The Last Jedi and Ryan Johnson and how it screwed up the series. One of the early thoughts for a title for this video from my side of things was the dam breaks. That John Boyega is likely to be the first but not the only member of the Star Wars cast and crew that comes out and says that The Last Jedi really put a wrench in the wheels, really screwed everything up. That even if you didn't think Force Awakens was very creative, which of course it's not, it still could have presented an interesting trilogy if you don't have a random auteur director who's better at doing mystery novels and subverting expectations come in and subvert all those expectations and then hand the ball back to you to finish it up. 
John Boyega understands that, and I suspect this will be the Disney line going forward, that mistakes were made in terms of the momentum of this series, that Ryan Johnson did those mistakes, and that ultimately we're going to do a better job next time, and maybe Disney responds to this article, maybe they don't. Finally, I do think it's important to give the the reasons behind this entire interview. You had all that set up with Black Lives Matter and the megaphone at the top of this article. And John Boyega says some important stuff here. He says, I am the only cast member who had their own unique experience of that franchise based on their race. Let's just leave it at like that. It makes you angry with a process like that. It makes you much more militant. It changes you because you realize I got given this opportunity, but I'm in an industry that wasn't even ready for me. Nobody else in the cast had people saying they were going to boycott the movie because they were in it. Nobody else had the uproar and death threats sent to their Instagram DMs and social media saying black this and black that, and you shouldn't be a stormtrooper. Nobody else had that experience, but yet people are surprised that I am this way. That's my frustration. He has made peace with a lot of this now. Following that intense 2017 period, he attended therapy to deal with some horrible personality traits such as anger. But he lets his point settle as our mocktails melt to minted slush on the low table between us. You got to love GQ, right? But, but this is an important point, that this isn't taken in a vacuum, that John Boyega has experienced these things. Now, I'm not sure he's the only member of the cast to experience these things. I pulled up a Vox article that says Star Wars fans harassed Kelly Marie Tran for months. Again, I'm not sure of the accuracy here. If you actually go in this Fox article, you see that the backgrounding information here is from a Twitter account called Star Wars Facts. That's what they use to actually make this headline. So, so I don't know why Kelly Marie Tran left Instagram. She was certainly having to deal with what all celebrities have to deal with. She was an actress of color in Star Wars, and she was, frankly, given a terrible, terrible character by certain folks that will go unnamed since we already named them. But whether or not John Boyega is the only one, he's certainly dealing with this kind of stuff. There are a lot of bad people out there, and I have no doubt that there were a lot of bad people that sent him messages that said, I didn't want you in Star Wars, just like there were probably bad people that sent those same messages to Daisy Ridley about having a female lead in Star Wars. Those are bad people, and nobody should have to live with it. And so I think it's important to listen to when someone says these kinds of things in interviews to try to take them into account. While I think that the specifics of his complaints are a little bit misguided. I I don't think Ryan Johnson is a racist. I don't really think J.J. Abrams is a racist. I think Disney as an institution, while trying to attract Chinese audiences, maybe is experiencing some light racism at bare minimum and is casting people like Lupita Nyong'o and Gwendolyn Christie and maybe even John Boyega to try to attract certain uh, points from audience members in the United States and elsewhere. I don't know that that specifically is targeted to hurt Mr. Boyega as much as that's just the result of what it does. And so I think Disney and these corporations that want to go out there and claim that they're diverse and claim all these things have to take that into account, that you're using actual people in their actual lives. And if you're just going to use them as tokens to win these political points, that's going to harm people. I think they absolutely should reflect on this interview and do that. But I don't think that the individuals involved were actually aimed at harming John Boyega or the Finn character. I just think that the Disney Star Wars project was a tire fire and it was a tire fire all the way through. So while I would love to see more John Boyega looking like this, I really loved his portrayal of Finn. I think he would have made an excellent protagonist in the Star Wars movies if a common director slash writer had a vision for what his character and his character arc will be. I hope very much that this entire experience didn't turn him off forever and ever from loving Star Wars, at least prior to 2015, and loving what it was, what it could be, 
and what it may yet be again in the future. This has been Virtual Legality for today. We aren't often doing long 40-minute screeds on Star Wars in this space. Generally, we are talking about the business and law of the pop culture news items that you are seeing from day to day and that you are already reading, hopefully to add a little bit of illumination, education, and information on how those news stories came to be. So if you like this, please like, subscribe, share, ring bells, do everything else, put us on forum posts, wherever else you might think us useful out on the internet. And if you caught this on YouTube, thank you so much for watching. And if you listen to it as a podcast, thank you so much for listening. And I will catch you on the very next episode of Virtual Legality. Virtual Legality is a YouTube video series with audio podcast versions presented as commentary and for education and entertainment purposes only. It does not constitute legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship. If you have legal questions about the topics discussed, please consult your own legal counsel.